Pastor Xavier Reese says, save yourself from compromise by choosing this day who you will serve. James 4.4, listen, adulterers, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He's not talking to non-believers. Non-believers are friends of the world. He's talking to Christians. When we become friends of the world, we become enemies of God, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Many of us remember being taught at a young age to plan your work and work your plan. Of course, this is wise counsel throughout life for ensuring competence and effectiveness in nearly any undertaking. And so when it comes to navigating the believer's walk of faith, Pastor Xavier has several checkpoints to help guard against many all-too-common compromises that would divert the follower of God from his divine plan. He draws valuable inspiration for today's lesson from chapter 2 of the book of Judges. Let's listen. We want to examine the dangers of compromise which are laid out for us here in three movements in chapter 2 of Judges. The cost of compromise comes first. The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bosham. And he told them, I led you out of Egypt and brought you from the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. The angel of the Lord hears a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament prior to the incarnation. Look at verse 2. The visitation of the angel of the Lord was to remind them of the conditions of his covenant that they had broken. You shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? So they were to make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. He told them clearly back to Exodus 23, 32, 34, 12, and many other passages. God was very clear on on this command. He says, and when the Lord Yahweh, your God, delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall not make any covenant with them nor show mercy to them. They were so debauched, so depraved, so degenerated that they would only infect Israel who went in. You see, they had not obeyed his voice. Notice, they had not killed the people in the land as the instrument of God's judgment, allowing the people of the land to dwell with them. Their disobedience would ultimately enslave them to those of the land and bring judgment on themselves by the hand of God. In verse 3, The chastening of the unfaithful people is given to us here. It says, Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. God would not help them expel the people of the land. That is horrible words. When God is no longer working, but he's given me over to this. God would allow the people to be a source of discomfort, to say the least, to Israel. Next comes the constant progression of compromise, verse 6 through 15. The people became content with the land alone. Oh, don't miss this. The people were encouraged by Joshua to finish taking possession of their inheritance in the land in verse 6. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord for a very short time in the land. 
Verse 7, they became an entitled generation, not having received the testimony or given the testimony. The people became strangers to the Lord. The people were influenced and corrupted by the heathen of the land. Look at verse 11. The people gave allegiance to the gods of the land. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord Yahweh and served the Baals. They conducted themselves in a manner that was displeasing, disagreeable to God. They lost the consciousness of God in their lives as the only true God and creator, becoming polytheistic. Look at 12, the people apostatized from God. Do no, you see the progression here? Don't miss it. They turned their back on the covenant God of their fathers, Yahweh, who delivered them in the Exodus. And they forsook the Lord Yahweh, God Elohim, of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They turned to the gods of the pagan people, and they worshiped them. They followed other gods from among the gods of the people, who were all around them, and they bowed down to them. We're pilgrims of Sonia. We live in the world, but not of the world. We are a minority, and becoming more of a minority as the world gets darker. But let me give you some good news. The majority is always wrong, even in the people of God. Without following Yahweh, there was no ability to resist the gods of the land. Without worshiping the true and living God, man will worship false gods. Notice they turn Yahweh's anger on themselves. And they provoke the Lord Yahweh to anger. The reason being, Yahweh is holy. Isaiah 6, the seraphim say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Exodus 34, 14 says, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, your jealousy and mine is selfish. I want you for me. God's jealousy is selfless. He wants you for himself because he's the best for you. Not that you're the best for him. <laughs> Trust me. Notice verse 13 through 15. The people became committed to a life of sin becoming the enemies of God. Ooh, you see the transition through the progression? They forsook the Lord Yahweh and served Baals and Ashtoreths. Baal means master, possessor, or husband. He was a fertility god of the Canaanites. Sexual rights, child sacrifice, and practices of such, as we said. Ashtoreths was the consort of Baal. It's in the plural, Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth was the goddess of war and fertility. Solomon worshipped her, 1 Kings 11.5. The Lord Yahweh fought against them then in verse 14. How did these people get here? One step at a time. The anger of Yahweh was poured out on them. And the anger of the Lord Yahweh was hot against Israel. He's not dealing with the heathen. You say, yeah, but thank God it's Old Testament. Really? The holy anger of God turned them over to be devastated by their enemies, removing the wall of protection. Listen. So he delivered them into the hands of the plunderers who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around. Be careful what you wish for. God can judge you by chastening you, or worse yet, 
give you what you want. That's worse. And so you think you're okay. The result being, they were constantly running from their enemies so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. The promised land, all theirs. Go and possess the walled cities, the, the vineyards, the wells, all of that. And when you do remember, you didn't work for it. I gave it to you. Let you exalt yourself and forget your God. The covenant. The Lord Yahweh was being faithful to keep the words of his covenant to them. Verse 15. The, the covenant is Exodus 24, Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28 and 29, and Joshua 24. Blessings and cursings. I lay before you life and death. Choose today. Which one do you want to draw from? He's talking to his people. Are we clear on this? The very hand of Yahweh was for their calamity, it says. Wherefore they went out, and the hand of the Lord Yahweh was against them for calamity. Not for good or blessing anymore. The Lord Yahweh was true to his word. As the Lord had said, and as the Lord Yahweh had sworn to them. Now you know God can't lie, right? The apostate people of God lived under great pressure and suffering, becoming the tail instead of the head. God says, I've made you the head. But if you don't act like the head, I will make you the tail. Whoa. And they were greatly distressed, it says there, verse 15 at the end. The danger with the material blessings of God is that we will become content with the material things alone rather than the one that has provided the material things. We just can't handle things. They get to us. Listen to the words of Jesus, Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, lose sight of himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my name's sake will find it. For what profit is it if a man, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? A house, money, car, they're all legit, but they're insignificant. They should cause me to thank God and be a good steward of those things, but never to live for those things or to just think to amass things. In fact, things become very cumbersome after a while. They take all your time. They take all your attention if you start putting a greater price on them than the one who gave you those things to enjoy and share. The danger then is to begin to live a worldly life following the culture of the day and deceive ourselves thinking that it's all right due to no longer being in the word, prayer, and fellowship with a whole heart. Oh, you still come to church. You still bring your family. You still carry your Bible. You still tell people you're Christian. But... It's half heart. It's not whole heart. First John 2, 15 through 7, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. 
When we become friends of the world, we become enemies of God, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to James. He's speaking to Christians. James 4.4, listen. Adulterers, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He's not talking to non-believers. Non-believers are friends of the world. He's talking to Christians. The danger to the second generation is to turn to a life of sin. And the danger is very, very real. Joshua 24, 14 through 15, put it this way, as he confronted all the nation. He says, now therefore, fear the Lord Yahweh, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river of Egypt. So he reminds them, all of our ancestors were pagans. Okay? God didn't choose it because we were so holy. He says, serve the Lord Yahweh. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord Yahweh, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord Yahweh. Joshua 24, 14 and 15. That decision is made by every generation, by every person that generation, until the Lord returns. Past, present, and future. The constant progression of compromise, notice, is certain. The third and last movement is the calloused heart of compromise. Notice 16 through 19, the Lord demonstrated compassion over the people. That's the type of God we serve. The Lord raised up leaders. Notice that. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. The judges were more like leaders, champions for the cause of of Yahweh to break that cycle of apostasy. The people were rebellious. Look at 17. Hardening their hearts, yet they would not listen to their judges. Oh, you're too critical. You're always negative. Where's grace? Giving in to their evil hearts. But they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. The phrase is familiar of unfaithfulness to marriage. It's used for Israel. Jeremiah 2.20, Hosea 2.5, and many other areas. Following their hearts, they turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord Yahweh. They did not do so. A choice. 18, the Lord Yahweh did it out of love for the people. That's his motive. Not to make our life miserable. Being compassionate. And when the Lord Yahweh raised up judges for them, the Lord Yahweh was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved with pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. Mercy less than we deserve. In 19, the people did not learn from their sin or Yahweh's pity, being uncommitted. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers. Whoa. You cannot look to another person to have your commitment or to be responsible for your commitment. Being unstable by following other gods to serve them, and they bowed down to them. Unstable. Being unwilling, 
They did not cease from their own doing, nor from their stubborn way. The Lord delivered the people to the corruption of the land. Verse 20 through 23. In 20, the personal verdict of the Lord was justified. Listen carefully. Then the anger of the Lord Yahweh was hot against Israel, and he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice. This is God charging his people. The personal promise was to not fight for them. 21. I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died. This was not... God's doing, it was their doing, their choosing. This is the verdict. The personal purpose of the Lord behind his proclamation is given in 22 and 23. In 22, so that through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord Yahweh to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. The remnant of Israel, those like in the book of Ruth, who obeyed during this very period. God wasn't going to judge them and wipe them out because of the way the rest of the book of Judges is. Book of Ruth is in here. They're obeying. They said, the Lord bless you. Bless you. They were reaping the benefit of the promised land in the midst of all this rebellion and apostasy. The same today. So much of the church is so apostate today. The Christian colleges, the seminaries, giving up the inspiration of Scripture, Embracing homosexuality, different things. Getting caught up with just doing works to make this place a little better place before people go to hell. Rather than proclaiming the gospel. Church of Laodicea. 23, therefore the Lord Yahweh left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. God tests every individual. Are you going to go the way of the culture? the way of people, or are you going to go my way? God is ever ready to forgive and to restore, as you know, and fellowship the believer who has turned from him. In 1 John 2, 1, it says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin as a rule of practice of life. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, a lawyer for the defense, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous to be able to come before God and confess and stay right and stay abiding in Christ, having that channel, that abiding in Christ. What an incredible privilege. God would have us, in very severe circumstances of rebellion, to turn believers over to Satan in hope of repentance. You see, the non-believer already belongs to Satan. You don't turn non-believers over to Satan. You turn over believers who are rebellious and don't want to repent because you love them and that if need be, they would have to go through difficult circumstances, even the removing of their life, that they might repent. Listen carefully. First Timothy 1, 18 through 20, Paul says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare, having faith and good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith and have made shipwreck. Non-believers can't make shipwreck. Only believers can. Of whom are Hymenius, Alexander, 
whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Those are believers. Non-believers already belong to Satan. Okay? The young man in 1 Corinthians 5, 5 has turned over to Satan. Now we know he repented, but that's not always the case. God will give people love to their sin. Listen to uh, Romans chapter 1, 24 to 32. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature, lesbianism, homosexuality. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they know God. They know about God. They don't want to retain it. Okay, no one's ignorant. God gave them over to a debased mind and to do those things which are not fitting, appropriate. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, bolsters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, un. Forgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve those who practice them. No one's ignorant. This covers Genesis to the present age. Okay? God can never be blamed for our choice of sin then. Listen to one of the strongest warnings in the New Testament to the people of God. Hebrews 10, 26 to 30. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversary. He's talking to believers. He's not talking about any one sin. He's talking about a, 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 a progressive departure, going away from God, and you don't come back. Listen to what he says. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. A true fact. Okay? Old Testament. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant of which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? How much more? The lesser from the lesser to the greater. If it was true in Moses, this is true in the New Testament. Puts the parallel there, okay? So don't rationalize it away. For we know him who says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Listen carefully. And again, the Lord Yahweh will judge his people. He's talking to Christians. The callous heart of compromise brings utter, utter destruction. Guys, I will never break my covenant with Israel. If the sun doesn't shine, the moon doesn't come out, the stars don't shine, then I will break it. He'll never break it. Not everybody who says Israel is Israel, but he'll never break it. Romans 9, 10, 11, God will deal with Israel. So do not believe replacement theology that the church is Israel and God is no longer dealing with Israel. Wrong. You get an F in the subject of Bible. Here you have the dangers of compromise laid out in these three movements. The cost of compromise is great. The constant progression of compromise is certain. And the callous heart of compromise brings utter destruction. You know people that have gone this way. It's a heartbreak for God. It should be for us. 
Pastor Xavier Rees, considering the danger and destruction of compromised living, whether it be in the time of judges or the church today. And today's study titled, The Danger of Compromise, is available on CD upon request for just $4. Having your own copy allows you to review the study again at your own pace. Plus, we'll be able to include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is The Danger of Compromise, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com